Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, in the history of the Tipping Pitches podcast, there's only ever been two emergency pods, and I believe today makes the third, although I don't know how much of it you can really characterize as an emergency pod since this is just the day that we normally release the pod still. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there was an emergency situation that we had to handle, which was that we had an entire episode uh, scheduled, ready to release, fully edited, wonderful episode. And that episode is going to be heard by you lovely listeners on Thursday because you know why, Alex? Tell me. They're unionizing the damn minor leagues. What? What? (laughs) MLBPA Communications, the Major League Baseball Players Association, has launched a campaign to unionize minor league players across the country. Did you think this day would come? Certainly not this soon. I mean, eventually, not this weekend. Yeah, uh, yep, not this weekend. If I had known this day was going to come this weekend, we probably wouldn't have done all that stuff that I said about putting together an entire podcast. Right, uh, well, I'm, I'm like, not, I'm not even in New York right now, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm out in California for the next week and a half. I was like, what the fuck, you know, what could happen? I'll bring my right. recording stuff just in case, but, you know. Thankfully, you brought your recording stuff. Uh... I'm just going to start by reading a part of the statement from the Major League Baseball Players Association and Executive Director Tony Clark. Because candidly, I don't really know where else to start. So mm-hmm. check out me vamping while by, by reading a Twitter statement. Yeah. Major League Baseball Players Association has launched a campaign to unionize the minor leagues across the country. The historic effort kicked off Sunday night after receiving overwhelming support from the MLBPA's executive board. Minor leaguers represent our game's future and deserve wages and working conditions that befit elite athletes entertain millions of baseball fans nationwide. MLBPA Executive Director Tony Clark said, they're an important part of our fraternity and we want to help them achieve their goals both on and off the field. This campaign is supported by Advocates for Minor Leaguers. It goes on to say that those employees who were working for Advocates for Minor Leaguers are now resigning and taking roles within the Major League Baseball Players Association. So Advocates for Minor Leaguers, which we have discussed at length on this podcast, will be folded into the Major League Baseball Players Association Now, Alex, we are going to talk about what comes next. We are going to talk about the relevant parties in the labor fight to come. We are going to talk about what got us here, as we have been talking about on this podcast for the last two and a half years. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to The Tipping Pitches. They're unionizing the minor leagues emergency podcast. Man, doesn't this feel bigger than the CBA? Wildly so. Like, like not six months yeah. ago, we were on a Zoom together talking about how this is the biggest pod we've ever done. <laughs> right. And now we're doing it again, man. Right. I mean, the thing about that was we always knew it was coming, right? We maybe didn't know that there was going to be a lockout per se, but we had an idea that there was going to be some sort of labor labor struggle. We knew what was at stake. So it's yeah. not like anything that happened necessarily caught us completely by surprise, right? Surprise, surprise. The owners don't want to give the players what they want. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is this feels completely different, right? This is unprecedented. CBA's CBA negotiations take place every five years, and a lot of them I, are relatively similar. Famously, right? we it, know the day that the CBA expires. Yeah, exactly. This has never been done before. Not in baseball, at least. It has been done in other sports, which we'll talk about. Yes. And we're we're going to talk about, like I said, we're going to talk about the what's coming next. What are the next steps? What is the NLRB? We're going to talk about union elections. <laughs> I'm going to share my own personal experience. You're going to give a, a brief history of the fight for minor league unionization. But before we do, I want to hear, what did it feel like to see... Jun Lee tweet this news three times and delete it twice and then perfect his, perfect his tweet. <laughs> Obviously, some people, I think, were very nervous about the fact that the tweet was deleted, right? Because he, he tweets out the news. The MLBPA is going to be sending out union cards to minor leaguers in an effort to unionize minor league baseball. And then that tweet gets deleted and it gets tweeted again with, like I think, an extra period and mm-hmm. then deleted again. And the people copy are editors like, what is that? We're proud of that, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And people are like, what does this mean? Like, what is happening? And at that point, it, it was like, it's not like this was an accident or right. like he just got fed a wrong piece of news. Like, that was that was him working through his own thing and figuring out how he wanted to drop it. Which it wasn't incredibly like when relatable. got hacked and was tweeting Bitcoin shit the day <laughs> right. that the CBA was agreed to. June was still in control. Of his own Twitter yes. account. But I do think that that contributed to the surreal feeling of it, was that June was tweeting yep. and deleting, tweeting and deleting. People were quote-tweeting things. People were sending me quote tweets where June's original tweet had been deleted, so I didn't know what yeah. they were talking about. The Slack right. was exploding. Our Genuinely, I've never seen it more active. People were just tweeting stuff like, OMG, at Tipping Pitches. You know, like mm-hmm. stuff like that, which, if you are one of those people, thank you so much for thinking of us. In this moment, thank you for reaching out via digital carrier pigeon to share this experience together. <laughs> but but please know that this barrage of tweets it did cause my head to spin quite a bit, and I imagine yours as well. I texted you feeling what that I texted you saying that I was feeling a uh, concussed. Yes, yeah i I said in the Slack it felt like I was just off my meds. Mm-hmm. Like I like the my world was blurry around the edges. Again, this is compounded by the fact that not like twenty minutes after this news drops, the the music channel starts blowing up. That one <laughs> one Blondie, one Taylor Swift, <laughs> is dropping a new album, and I was like, I like actually, up. I physically don't have the capacity to process everything that's going on. I was like, like you and I were texting and we we're like, how, how to do My body this. is shutting down. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I need to go to bed. I was running on like three hours of sleep anyway. So I was in a state. Mm-hmm. I think that we should start this conversation by saying, this is the most important news that has happened from the way that we view the sport since we've started doing this podcast. Obviously, the, the fight to improve the CBA from the one that they signed in 2015 was, has been discussed the entire time of that con- had been discussed the entire time of that contract. Obviously, the lead up to lockout, we covered it like it was basically the playoff, like most other baseball podcasts would cover the playoffs or the World Series. But 
the combination of not knowing when this would happen and not knowing if it was going to happen in this form, I think makes this news feel like so much more of a bombshell than anything that we've ever covered before. And, you know, immediately people like Eugene Friedman, people like us were saying this doesn't guarantee that they will have a union. This doesn't this doesn't ensure a victory. This doesn't guarantee anything in any future CBA that they will negotiate. But the fact that the fight is officially on, the fact that it's no longer, we should unionize the minor leagues. The fact that it's no longer, the it's no longer people like us saying the best way to fix the conditions of the minor leagues is through unionization, is through collective bargaining, is through uniting the workers that are most hard done in in baseball underneath Major League Baseball's umbrella, the fact that it's not just us theorizing about that is honestly like really hard to process. Like not even in a funny, this stuff is all happening online and on Twitter and everybody's getting jokes off and everybody's saying we're smoking that owner's pack. I love everyone's jokes very, very much and I was laughing very hard at them. But at the same time, I'm like, I struggle to think of a more seismic thing that could have just been news dumped on a Sunday night, honestly. Yes, 100%. And as you mentioned, this is just the start of this campaign. There's the MLBPA now begins the long road of letting players know the benefits of a union and mm-hmm. getting them to actually sign these cards that would authorize the, the official union vote. And we'll, and we'll get into like the mechanics of this. Um, I know that today they're also answering questions from major leaguers. Yeah. Because it seems like many of them were caught off guard or or somewhat surprised that this news just dropped out of nowhere. Although Mm -hmm. I have to assume that many of them were aware that these efforts were were going on. This was not happening outside of the purview of the, uh, you know, executive committee of the MOBPA or whatever. Yeah. The... I thought the Evan Drellick article in The Athletic was the most illuminating in terms of what this looked like from the MLB Players Association side. Uh, Evan reported that they had a meeting on Friday. Of course, they've been, of course, they must have been having regular meetings about this for the last however many months or years or I don't know when this began. And I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more about this from people like Evan. But Evan reported that Friday night, the uh, MLB Executive Committee, which is made up of players who get elected to that committee and the team representatives who get elected to represent the individual teams, the 30 major league baseball teams. Uh, they authorized this action. They authorized offering membership in the MLB players association to the 5,000 plus minor leaguers. And then over the next couple of days, over the weekend, they took the steps to send out those cards to the minor leaguers. And that's about as much as we know in terms of the actual, process from the union side. I'm sure we'll hear more about this and I'm sure that you know those meetings today pulled back some of the curtain a little bit for the Major League Baseball players and then those players will go on and talk to sources and we'll we'll get more of a an image of what this looked like from that side, but I will say, you know, I saw a lot of people being like oh, I'm surprised that this was the that it was the players association who is doing this because it seems like they haven't had interest in doing this in the past. Uh it's weird that the member rank and file membership of the union, the meaning like 99% of the players were probably unaware of this. I would guess that the, the ones who are most involved in the union had an idea of this and the ones who are not 
it just it would be impractical to involve involve all of the twelve hundred of the people who are technically union members at any one time. The forty players on each team for the thirty teams, because those people are very busy, because it's a lot of people to wrangle. Um, but it's not uncommon for like a union's executive leadership to make a decision on trying to organize a new company, or in this case, a new sector of workers under the same industrial umbrella that you're already in. So we'll talk more about the the next steps in the process, but nothing that I've seen so far has been like super out of the ordinary. From right. My perspective. Yeah. And, and I think it's worth noting that the Players Association does not go forward with this effort unless they think that they have both the support of their current membership mm-hmm. to take this action and also the support of a good amount of minor leaguers, right? You're not going to bring this forth unless you've been doing the work on the ground and actually think you have a chance of winning, right? This is the the authorization cards that have been sent out are are simply a vote on whether or not to have take a vote, a vote to yes. form a union, right? So that so that bar is thirty percent. You have to assume that they were confident they would blow through that benchmark, right? Because if you yes. only have 30% of the players who come back, then even that doesn't bode well for the actual vote itself to form a union, which requires 50% plus one, essentially, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So the 30% number that's going around, um, basically in order for the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, to take your petition to form a union Seriously, like to accept the petition and to enact the law that requires you to have a vote on whether or not you have a union, you have to show 30% support via these union cards that were sent out on Sunday. You have to have 30% of the prospective members of that union sign those union cards, and then it can go forward to a vote of the entire constituency. So they don't have to send these cards to everyone. They could could technically only send it to the 30% of people that they know will sign them, but they will send them to everybody because say that 80% of people sign them or 70% of people sign them, that shows to Major League Baseball, hey, we have a majority already, easily. And, you know, in like the case of the Ringer Union, we had over 95% of people sign those union cards. And now at this point, once they receive that that 30%, once they cross that threshold and prove to the National Labor Relations Board that they are able to cross that, cross that threshold because that's what the 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 law says that they have to do, it'll be up to MLB to decide whether or not they want to voluntarily recognize their union or request that the NLRB hold a union election. More likely, they will do the second one. Right. Uh, Wait, you don't, you don't think Major League Baseball is going to voluntarily recognize a minor league union? If we know anything about Major League Baseball, it's that they are not amenable to things that players want. <laughs> um, but, you know, I... I guess if 95% of minor leaguers sign them, it would be just impractical for Rob and the owners to, to force an election. But I know that they would to, just to delay it. But right. in theory, it's possible. The, the, I'll say the, the, the NBA, the National Basketball Association, did voluntarily recognize the G League union. They had 75% in their initial union card sign-up. So that is where we're at right now. Um. I think there's almost no chance that MLB voluntarily recognizes the union because of what you're saying. Because in the time period that it takes, once you've crossed that 30% threshold, 
and triggered an NLRB mandatory union election, that is when MLB is going to wage their propaganda campaign. Mm-hmm. And it's coming. Yep. And it's going to be scorched earth. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fierce. Um, but before we even talk about that, because that's a little bit of theorizing about what the future is going to look like, I, we should probably talk about how we even got here. And people who have been listening for a really long time, of course, know that we've been chronicling the ascension of the minor league labor baseball story basically since the pandemic. And that was like a, a an inciting incident, that M- how MLB treated those minor leaguers. But I know that you put together an even further reaching timeline than that, right? Right. And, and this is by no means comprehensive. And, you know, I, I want you to fill in any gaps that I've missed, but I think it's interesting to kind of look back beyond the last year of organizing that's happened, beyond the the pandemic, which I think really shifted a lot of people's, a lot of the public's perception on minor league treatment. I think it's interesting to kind of push back beyond that and look at some of the key moments that really made this sort of organization effort possible, right? I mean, first of all, I think it's worth noting that this was a fight that Marvin Miller, the architect of the MLBPA, was not a stranger to, right? He recognized that minor league baseball players had very specific conditions that probably necessitated a union. And he also recognized the immense task that that would be to organize, given the the difficulties they already were having trying to whip the MLBPA constituency into line, basically, mm-hmm. right? Back in 2012, a, a then 94-year-old Marvin Miller said in an interview to Slate that he had revisited this idea many times throughout his career and recognized the necessity of it, but determined it wasn't viable because of the, the disparate geographic nature of the minor leagues uh, and the lack of resources for that sort of thing. He said, quote, the notion that these very young, inexperienced people were going to defy the owners when they had stars in their eyes about making it to the major leagues, it's just not going to happen. And yep. that feels like kind of the perfect distillation of why we hadn't gotten a union to this point, right? Because they're an incredibly vulnerable labor force in that they have little to no leverage over MLB owners. As mentioned, they exist across the country and there's turnover in the ranks every few years. But most importantly, I think a lot of minor leaguers haven't been thinking about this, right? Because you don't really have the capacity to do that when you're trying to live out your dream, right? And make it to the major leagues. And that really feels like it kind of characterized this conversation for the better part of the last like half century. Yes. And another really important element of that, which we've talked about in the past is the uniform player contract, which, you know, we, we got into, I think a little bit more on the conversation that we had about the, the Senate judiciary committee antitrust letter, which mentioned the uniform player contract and that uniform player contract basically dictates the terms of the employment of every single minor leaguer and they have to sign it. It's not optional. Can't redline it. Can't change it. You have to sign away a certain amount of your rights. And, and one of those things is that you can be cut for any reason. Now we see this all over the United States labor forces is at will employment being one of the biggest barriers to any sort of workplace solidarity or, or workplace 
solidification of good jobs in the workplace is that if you can be fired or let go for any reason at any point just because the company doesn't want to have you around anymore, well, what does that sound like? That sounds like a baseball roster. (laughs) You start getting a little brazen talking about let's minor league players of the world unite and all of a sudden they cut you because your strikeout rate was over 15%. (laughs) You know, like I have talked to people who have experience in the minor leagues. I have talked to people who are sympathetic to the idea of needing a union in minor league baseball. None of those people were ever comfortable about saying that to their teammates in any kind of way that could lead back to the organization. Now, you know, there there are a handful of of players who have been outspoken much more in the last couple of years, but dating back to that Marvin Miller quote that you're talking about, that has been the dominant received wisdom of talking about organizing minor league baseball. Yeah, exactly. Um, And Miller's words would ring true for years following, right? I mean, so in 2009, one one player named Garrett Brocious, you may have heard of him, uh, decided to leave professional baseball and and get a law degree, right? And a few short years later... The domino meme. (laughs) Yes, exactly, right? Garrett Brocious leaves professional baseball. (laughs) Monkey's paw curls. Yeah, exactly. Right, so so then fast forward to 2014, and the law firm he works for is decides to take up the case of Senny versus Major League Baseball, right? Which claims that, that players have been, that minor league players have been underpaid for years when you consider the, just the amount of time that they actually put into being a, a minor league player. This is obviously the, the same case that would, that would garner class action status in 2019. And get settled earlier this year. And get settled earlier this year. Yeah, exactly. And... I think that's a really kind of important piece of this whole history because it, at least in my book, kind of felt like the the glue that was holding a lot of these conversations together, right? As this was making its way through the courts over the last eight years, there was something you could point to and say there is a legal battle being waged that minor league baseball players are exploited, right? It felt a bit like the like the North Star of efforts on behalf of labor conditions in the minor leagues. Yeah. And so obviously while this case was was settled earlier this year, I think it's, you know, important to not forget just how important that was at like whipping up public interest in this sort of thing, right? And getting and getting thousands of minor league players on board with the fact that they're not actually alone in this sort of thing. Yes. And you know, it's interesting that that became like you're talking about such a North Star for this effort because there's nothing in that court case, there's nothing in that class action lawsuit that directly says you need to unionize. Yeah. But what we do in this country is we we default to not having unions until things get so bad that you need it. And a $185 million class action lawsuit where MLB is essentially admitting guilt, even though legally they're not really admitting guilt, they're giving $185 so that $185 million so that they don't have to admit that they stole wages from these players. And if they're stealing wages from you, how else are you going to prevent them from doing that in the future? If not unionizing, those two things are inherently linked. And without the existence of the first one, I do feel like it 
would have been hard to get a lot of players on board with the idea that they're being hard done by to unlearn some of these received wisdoms about how you have to go through these specific steps in this specific way to become a major league baseball player and get your payday eventually down the road. Yeah. Well, and a lot of these kind of events that have taken place over the last few years, again, didn't explicitly make the case for a union necessarily, but I think were really important in bringing the public's attention to, frankly, the greed that a lot of owners have around both minor league players and major league players, right? I think yes. in 2015, there's another really big moment that I think matters, not necessarily in the union fight specifically, but in the public's perception towards labor dynamics in baseball, right? And that's Chris Bryant being held down in the minor leagues for two weeks mm-hmm. in order for the Cubs to delay his free agency by a year, which had that work out for them. By the way, (laughs) worth it? The day that we stop armchair analyzing the Chris Bryant service time manipulation (laughs) will be the day that this podcast no longer posts. Absolutely. But like that was a seminal moment. (laughs) Seminal moment because it was a really easy way for fans to understand and get insight into how owners approach these negotiations, right? And it felt like this sort of... I don't want to say watershed moment, but it would be very representative over how Major League Baseball teams would operate over the coming years, right? As we kind of have this sort of Moneyball 2.0 experience going on where uh, where teams realize that they can get the most value out of players by making sure they're young and underpaid and good. Yes, and... What the Chris Bryant service time manipulation did, what Moneyball 2.0 did, what Senny versus MLB did, is they concretized these things that MLB owners thought and acted on for the public. Yeah. They made it obvious. And the people covering them are part of this too. But without getting too far ahead of myself, the, the fact that at the same time that the MLB Players Association is trying to get more combative with the owners, there's a very obvious elephant in the room, which is that no matter how hard done these young players are, these pre-hard players are, they're making a hundred times more than the minor leaguers who are a lot of times 24 hours away from being those major league baseball players. In the case of Chris Bryant, They're literally 12 hours away from being part of the same labor pool and they're being treated so differently. They're not getting the same protections. And those those truths that people have known for decades, that players have known since the beginning of time, that you're being mistreated in the minor leagues, that you're not actually getting your value back, people started having a vocabulary for that because the Major League Baseball Players Association was talking about it at the same time. Yeah, and I think that's really important to remember in these moments, like, we obviously cannot necessarily speak to the internal fights and conversations that were happening about unionization over the last decade, which I'm sure were happening and we weren't privy to, right? But again, there was so much kind of fear around speaking out around this sort of thing that we really kind of know relatively little about a lot of these internal negotiations. But a huge part of getting to this moment is owners getting a little greedy frankly, Mm -hmm. and getting a little more blatant about the ways in which they were trying to steal wages from minor leaguers, steal wages from major leaguers, right? In 2018, you have 
Major League Baseball publicly lobbying for the Save America's Pastime Act to be included in President Trump's trillion dollar budget, which would exempt minor league players from minimum wage laws and overtime laws. That to me is where it really feels like the narrative starts to shift a little bit because you have Major League Baseball openly admitting they're not interested in paying minor league players, right? And however they want to make their case, that they're seasonal employees, that they're apprentices, whatever it is, I think it doesn't really matter because it boils down to the owners saying, no, we actually think you getting paid $7,000 a year is okay. And here is why. Yep. I mean, we can we can sliding doors a million moments on this timeline. To me, that mm-hmm. one is the one that is most fruitful to sliding yes. doors. Because from the day that the Save America's Pastime Act was publicized as being close to be pe- being passed and then passed, even our nascent days of talking about labor on this show, we were crushing that. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it, it's not like we had the most reformed opinions on you know, labor theory of value or the financial dynamics of Major League Baseball. Not even that we know everything that we should know now, but we definitely know way more than we did back then. And even back then, it felt really, really egregious Mm -hmm. what they were doing. And that was one of those moments where it really solidified this notion of surplus value for the owners. And that if they can artificially suppress what they have to pay the players... Well, then where is that money going? It's going straight back into their pockets. And that's that greed Mm -hmm. that you're talking about that really, I think, has come back to bite them on multiple occasions, as we've talked about in some of these moments that you're about to to get to. Right, exactly. I mean, and and that kind of brings us to 2020 and everything that happens over that first COVID season as it relates to minor league baseball players, where things become even more apparent than they ever have been before, right? This is kind of where it reaches a fever pitch as it relates to the conversation around treatment of minor leaguers, right? You have organizations like more than baseball and advocates for minor leaguers that are really kind of coalescing and coming into their own in bringing forth the conditions under which minor leaguers are playing, right? There's the infamous photo of the, the sandwiches, which is a very generous way of putting it, uh, that before, minor leaguers in, in the A's system were, were receiving. Go ahead. Before that, though, well, I think before that, I actually don't really know what, what came along, but bigger than that, I will say, is that March 10th, 2020, mm-hmm. we found out that ma- the owners didn't want to pay any minor leaguers. Yeah. I think that was honestly the moment where I was like, where I felt that at some point this was going to result in a unionization push. I don't see how any other way, like for for something like this, for something this massive to happen globally and for owners to immediately say, we're not going to pay you the couple thousand dollars that we were paying you before. It just felt like, how can that not push these workers together? How can that not give these, give minor leaguers something to unite over? Because the blowback was so fierce and the owners relented. Some of them, Mm -hmm. at least. A lot of them, at least, relented because... I think they were surprised at how mad everyone was yes, in those I early they, days I think of COVID. They didn't, I think they really didn't realize how much people were actually paying attention or how much it they just would goes really to care. show you what fucking bubble they were living in during COVID. Yes, exactly. While I mean, they were raking ex- in trillions with their other jobs. Right. At the exact same time, I mean, I guess four months prior, 
they they float a plan to contract the minor leagues. Then in March of 2020, so they like announce again. Like <laughs> this is where things start to get just so Scrooge McDuck. complicated and naughty. Yeah, exactly. Because there are things happening across the board at every level, right? So they make their announcement to eliminate 42 minor league affiliates in March of 2020. At the same time, you have them talking about not wanting to pay minor leaguers. You have these individual anecdotes of the meals that they're getting in the minor leagues, the, the, the treatment that they're just kind of receiving in this pandemic season. And it does kind of feel like there's no turning back at this point. Like there's really no way for Major League Baseball to put the cat in the bag. And I think it, it's especially important because it starts to dovetail with the way that broader working class Americans are being treated by corporations in the pandemic, right? This is where you're paying attention to baseball, but you're also seeing the way that frontline workers are being treated, right? You're seeing the way that the devastation of an economy, so to speak, is being put upon the most vulnerable people so that the billionaire class doesn't have to worry about their profits, right? I think that that is when it starts to dovetail with the MLB Players Association yeah, most closely, is that when those two groups, those two, those two constituents of workers, their interests start to align the most because what, what's happening with the minor leaguers at this time is coinciding with the owners not wanting to pay the major league players either wanting to shorten the season to 60 games and the MLBPA suing them for that action essentially simultaneously with the fact that minor leaguers are trying to fight to make their couple thousand dollars a year too. And you know, my, my colleague Michael Bauman pointed out that one of the primary reasons that this is in MLBPA's interest from a qualitative but also a quantitative perspective is that if you have more minor leaguers, if you have the minor leaguers in the union, that's 5,000 more members in a 1,200 unit group. That's stronger by nature of the fact that there are more people to withhold their labor in the event that there is a circumstance that demands it. But it's also like a way to educate the younger players on what the importance of the union is before they actually get thrown into it and are trying to make their major league debut and are trying to stick in major league baseball. Like this is just a much cleaner and simpler way to unite these people who are all actually getting their paycheck from the same place doing the same thing essentially and i think it's at that moment in march april may june as we started to talk more and more about minor league labor conditions and unionization of the minor leagues that it just becomes obvious that these two groups interests are aligned though it wasn't obvious to us in thinking back on it because you and I in the many conversations that we had with people on this show were never really sure that the MLBPA was going to do this but I guess these forces that we're talking about made it obvious enough to the people who are now in power which has changed so much in the last few years with the Major League Baseball Players Association right and I think there are still plenty of questions about how these two groups are going to work together because there's still noticeable differences in the conditions of major league players and and of minor league players, right? They still have different things that they're 
fighting for fundamentally, at least right now. And we'll get into kind of some of those some of those questions and how we think they'll play out. But it's clear that they, at the very least, decided no matter what our differences are as a labor force, we have far more in common and far more to gain collectively if we come together rather than trying to wage these two fights separately. Like you're saying, that worker power is hugely, hugely important. Yes, and from the minor leaguers' side, you know, I think we talk about, like, I think in the labor movement, we talk about the difference between these new unions that have cropped up, like, at places like Amazon or Starbucks versus, like, some of the more long-term institutionally powerful unions and what are the benefits of being a, a brand new union and getting to restructure your union constitution in a certain way and not having to retrofit it to a union that you might be trying to to create a new local for or something like that. But in this specific case, it strikes me as intensely obvious how much more beneficial it is to join on with the Major League Baseball Players Association, how much easier it is to leverage their resources, to leverage their lawyers, to leverage the the comfort level that they have going toe-to-toe with Major League Baseball versus just trying to do go at it on your own. If you can point to the MLBPA and say, this is what they do for their members. This is what they'll do for us. It's kind of just a much easier sell to those people than trying to say, we honestly have no idea how it's going to go. <laughs> We're trying yeah. to do something that's never been done before or hasn't been done since Marvin Miller collectively united baseball players at the major league level over 50 years ago at this point. Yeah. And that basically brings us to where we are now, right? I mean, I late last year, obviously, major league baseball says, hey, we're going to provide housing to all minor league players. I think seeing the writing on the wall, they're doing their best to stamp out any possibility that players might recognize their conditions and want to come together it's too little too late uh although it's it's dope that now they don't have to fight for that in their unionization efforts right because they can focus efforts elsewhere so honestly good on major league baseball for doing that in advance of the (laughs) the unionization um and and just a couple short months later in the Rob's CBA probably ne- so mad about that. He's so <laughs> mad about that. He's like, are there take backs on that one? <laughs> no takesies, backsies. They actually can take that back because it wasn't given to them through any kind of collective bargaining. But right. it would be tricky legal territory for them to try to take that back now because it would basically just be a retaliation for yes. forming a union. Which, right. you know, is illegal in this country, but also like only kind of. You know, companies right. get away with yeah. it all of the time. Right, exactly. That said, speaking of retaliation, here we go. <laughs> well, speaking of retaliation in the CBA, just a, in the CBA negotiations a couple months later, Major League Baseball asks for the continued ability to reduce the number of minor league roster spots available to players going forward, right? Just at their discretion. Mm-hmm. And the MLBPA says no, right? So when you think about I know there's, there were some questions floating around about like you know what might the league do? Will they shut down teams? Will they get rid of players that have you know these these pro union sentiments or whatever? I mean, certainly they're going to do their best to stamp out these efforts, but they can't pull the Howard Schultz just starting to shut down stores move, 
right? Which I think is like big and indicates that this is something that maybe the PA was aware of even back in the CBA negotiations. They didn't want to give them that that weapon to potentially wield against minor leaguers in the future. So maybe this is a good point to start talking about what the near to medium term future mm-hmm. will look like. Now, of course, there are a couple more moments on that timeline that have been covered extensively on this podcast. Like I mentioned, the Senate Judiciary Committee, the, the notion that right. politically it's unpalatable for MLB to have this sort of antitrust exemption and have it applied directly to low-wage workers who are being left out of the minimum wage, which hasn't gone up in this country since the mid-2000s. Um, but we've covered, we've talked about that so much. So I want to talk a little bit about what it might look like for MLB to go scorched earth on this, because a lot of people are already bringing up those possibilities. Um, MLB might cut teams. They might try to restructure the minor leagues like they've been trying to do for the last two decades. They might say, actually playing games in these smaller towns where we're not raking in big gate receipts, where we don't have big TV money pouring in for these teams, we don't want them anymore. We might just have a bunch of pitchers in a lab learning their spin rate and how to increase it and their their pitch profiles we might send all of our hitters to the cages and to not actually see live pitching for the next three years. And then we'll call them up. The Astros have been trying to do that for the last 10 years, essentially to save money for Jim Crane. And, and I think it's important to point out that not every team has chosen to, to go that route necessarily. Not every team has chosen to do away with scouts. Not every team has chosen to develop players in this specific new tech way that doesn't involve actually playing baseball. But even if every team wanted to do that, which I think a lot of owners probably would say, yeah, sure, I'll save money by doing this. It's not a change that's going to happen fast. You can't just get rid of... 42 minor league teams was a lot to get rid of at once. I don't think that they could really sustain doing that a couple more times over the next couple of years while trying to bleed out the prospective minor league the prospective minor league players union or the prospective minor league wing of the Major League Baseball Players Association. Because at some point, you're just going to not be able to develop good players anymore. At some point, if you start cutting all of these teams, where are you going to send your best prospects? Who are they going to play against? How are they going to get the necessary reps that they need to perform at the major league level? And performing at the major league level within those first six years is more important than it's ever been. So I don't think teams can really afford to just set fire to the minor leagues all within the next five years because of the unintended consequences of that. But they probably could do it within the next 20 so maybe the Major League Baseball Players Association was looking at, at that and saying, now's the time to strike. You know, I know Tony Clark put in his letter and in some of the quotes that have come out in the articles that I've been reading about this, that he thinks this is the time, this is the group of players, this is the set of circumstances that's the right time to do this. And part of that is probably what we saw with those 42 minor league teams getting cut. If they keep doing that and doing that every few years, it just becomes a lot harder to accomplish this. Right, but I but I think that's just it, right? Is that the players' association effectively is not allowing them to do that, at least as negotiated in this most recent CBA. That could change five years from now, but between that and the public scrutiny of the minor league contraction, right? This judiciary, this Senate Judiciary Committee that's taking a look at their antitrust exemption. It doesn't really seem politically or even legally feasible for them to 
crack down in that manner, which is not to say that they aren't going to do their best to bring down the hammer, but they can't necessarily do it in that sort of direct route, right? That just, that gets rid of the minor leagues entirely, which is, I think, a really good thing. And it was a shrewd move of the players to not give them that ammo uh, over the offseason during the CBA negotiations. I think they're going to, I think the league is going to have to be kind of careful with their campaign, at least publicly. Because I think they recognize that the public opinion is not really in their favor in this one right now. And so it's really going to be on infiltrating players and trying to spread that misinformation about the pros and cons of unionization. That, to me, is where I think this war will be waged is inside clubhouses, right? Trying to split players from each other, trying to split the major and minor leaguers, trying to split individual teams so that if it gets to this actual unionization vote of 50%, Major League Baseball can hope they won't get there, which I don't think is going to happen. But yeah. Yeah. And that's what most companies try to do. They try to stop the union before it ever happens so they don't have to worry about all this other stuff that we're talking about. And MLB will definitely try to do that, or they will at least dip their toes in the water of going full scorched earth. Now, I think you're right in that it's a bad look to do that. And I think it's a particularly tough sell to make now that the Players Association is involved. Because something that happens a lot in these union propaganda efforts is... The company tries to make the argument, you'd rather dance with the devil you know than the devil you don't. And you've been working for us this entire time. You know what it's going to be like to work for us. But you don't know what it's going to be like when you bring in this third party, the union. And the union is bureaucratic, and that's the new man. And they're going to want to take your wages and they're going to want to have their own specific interests that they're trying to advance. And there's all of this like coded language about what is the union trying to get out of this and what agenda are they trying to advance? That argument doesn't really hold a lot of weight when it's the MLB players association because they didn't have to do this. You know, we've been talking about it for basically the entire time we've been talking about the minor league unionization effort about how the, the PA, a lot of the times, undercut the efforts of labor solidarity in the minor leagues. Historically speaking, not this necessarily this current iteration of the MLBPA leadership, both on the player and the union side, but the fact that they are openly willing to, to wage this fight right now, I, I have to imagine that the minor league players would much closer associate themselves with major league players than they would with owners. Mm-hmm. or management, or, you know, minor league affiliates and Rob Manfred. I find it hard to believe that they have a better, that they have a clearer argument to make to minor leaguers than the players that these minor leaguers are trying to become. It's a unique scenario that doesn't exist in a lot of workplaces. And it's right. part of the reason that it, it makes sense that the PA wants to include them. The PA should include them, that it's a mutually beneficial act of solidarity to do so. Right. And it does pose some interesting logistical questions about how these negotiations will go down, right? As you mentioned, 
the Players Association has been willing to throw amateur players and minor league players under the bus before to gain concessions from owners. Yeah. Now their fates are inextricably linked, right? Or they will be assuming the unionization efforts are successful. Any concessions that minor leaguers gain are going to be tied to anything that major league players may or may not gain, right? Because sure. these, and it remains to be seen kind of the mechanics of this organization, whether or not they'll simply, whether or not they'll just simply join the PA or well, whether they'll be kind of a, their own organization under the umbrella of the, the players association. Right. But they're not just simply going to be tacked on to the existing CBA, right? No, they're going to, no, no, they're going to, no. they're going to negotiate their own. And so oh, I can't the, wait to oh, talk about those negotiations. I know. I That's know. It's going right? to be but, a but, fucking minefield for us. It they really is, but they're going to be going on simultaneously with, Major League Baseball CBA negotiations. So yeah. I think that's going to be a really interesting tension to watch play out, given that minor leaguers, frankly, have a lot more that they actually like, quote unquote, need. Right yes. Now. Yes. The, now they will have a different, they will have a separate CBA. I don't know what the structure of the union will be. I don't think that they know what the structure of the union will be. I think they probably right. have some ideas. Like, for example, you know, the, there's a Writers Guild of America West and a Writers Guild of America East, and they, there have been negotiations amongst those two parties about which about which industries move you into one versus the other. And even though I was living in California, I was part of the East because I was a media worker as opposed to I did not work in Hollywood on film or TV or anything like that. These are negotiations that happen amongst unions all the time. It's not uncommon at all. And I think what's interesting is that even though you could, I, I guess, credibly make the argument that whatever minor leaguers get in their CBA owners will try to turn around and turn that right back on major leaguers and say, well, now we don't have any money because we had to give it all to the minor leaguers, right? That's bullshit, number one. Right. Which we all know. And number two, okay, so so what are you going to do about that then? If you're just going to cry poor, then we're just going to not come to work. Right. And if both CBAs are expired at the same time, guess who else is not coming to work? Yeah. The minor leaguers. If you haven't agreed on a CBA yet, guess who else is authorizing a strike? The minor leaguers. And so all of a sudden, baseball completely grinds to a halt. Whatever scabs you were going to try to pick off from the minor leagues, not allowed. Not allowed to do that anymore. Have fun trying to sign indie ball players to play for the New York Mets. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they're at the same token, like that arrangement, that arrangement also allows for more solidarity amongst those players. Their interests are intrinsically aligned now, as opposed to just conceptually aligned as we discussed in this last CBA. Right, exactly. As a bit of an aside, this also has implications on the Senate Judiciary's investigation into MLB's antitrust exemption, right? Because unionized industries are exempt from antitrust challenges, which is why the Judiciary Committee's investigation was focused on the way that it impacted minor leaguers. So this very well renders that null and void. And, and uh, if, if this comes to fruition and kind of negates the necessity for it, obviously the antitrust exemption would still be powerful in plenty of other realms in baseball that like we've talked about when it comes to team relocation, as it comes to blackouts, 
But these are also negotiations that maybe aren't as core to the economics of baseball as as minor league unionization and are and are wars that can be fought on other fronts. I don't think that would necessarily preclude the challenge, the legal challenge that we discussed with Jim Quinn that he is sort of right. heading up. I don't think that would preclude that challenge from continuing all the way up to the Supreme Court if it, it was politically palatable to the Supreme Court, which I honestly don't really care about that right now, frankly. Right. It just, I have no it just interest in talking <laughs> about what the Supreme Court is willing to hear or not hear. Right, exactly. It just means that argument and that approach might need to be tailored slightly differently, which is fine. There are plenty of smart legal minds out there who I think can can make a pivot just fine. <laughs> We are not two of them. <laughs> um, all right, Alex, why don't we close here? We just, we would be remiss if we did this whole podcast without explicitly saying just how instrumental Advocates for Minor Leaguers has been. Mm-hmm. And the litany of media folks who have been talking about this since before we even knew the structure of the minor league, since we were still in high school. You know, people have been covering this for decades. People have been covering the business of baseball and talking about how out of proportion minor league wages and conditions are compared to how important these players are to their organizations. Those people laid a groundwork that, you know, more than baseball was able to step into, that Harry Marino and advocates for minor leaguers were able to step into. And without them, I'm not sure that I would go so far as to say none of this happens, but it definitely doesn't happen on this accelerated timeline. I think back yeah. to the episode that we did like a month ago now for our five-year anniversary where we predicted five things would happen in the next five years. And one of those things that I predicted was minor league unionization. I definitely didn't feel good about that happening in the first half of that five years. I was like, that'll right. maybe be like a later in my term sort of mm-hmm. Thing on my, not not in my first 100 days as president right, or whatever. Exactly. This doesn't happen without a groundswell of support from fans. That support is not as big without people like advocates for minor leaguers, without the players who actually spoke with advocates for minor leaguers, the Kieran Lovegroves of the world, the the Robert Stocks of the world, all these folks that we have referenced being down with the cause. Mm-hmm. while still being involved in baseball. And I just earnestly am pretty inspired by the speed at which this has taken off. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the better things that's ever happened in Major League Baseball since we've <laughs> yeah, been covering yeah. it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I am wondering, what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you and this I is, do? Yeah, like... I think like, this is this is a, a, a such a big part of our identity, right? right Unionizing yeah. the miners, we have to find a new <laughs> new slant. <laughs> okay, first of all, it's not over yet. Yeah. Second of all, easy win is just making it past tense on the t-shirts. Yep. Mm-hmm. 100%. Unionized the miners. <laughs> yes. Though we didn't really do that. But <laughs> <laughs> We're not claiming to have. We are just simply saying they have been unionized. Minors, comma, unionized. We can workshop yes. it. The, yeah, listeners, we'll... the listeners, the folks in the Slack will have plenty of notes for us, I'm certain. Yeah. I will say, this doesn't bode well for all the people who are like, we want you to do Team X-inspired <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Demonize the miners shirt. <laughs> Not necessary anymore. <laughs> but I think that's a concession that people are willing to make. Um, Alex, obviously we will be covering this minute by minute. Yeah. Maybe not quite actually minute by minute, but episode by episode for our standards. <laughs> There's a reason that we decided to do this entire reaction podcast and push our normally scheduled programming back to Thursday this week. So a little bit of housekeeping just for the tipping pitches heads out there. Uh, if you're new and you're listening to us for the first time, thank you. This was a weird time to, <laughs> what to a hop on time board. To join. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're not and you're expecting a regular episode of Tipping Pitches, that regular episode will be coming out on Thursday. We have a really great conversation with a friend of the podcast, Matt Ritchie, in that episode. So I hope that you will fire that one up when it drops into your feed later this week. Uh, and it's just some some excellent banter up top, which will now be four days <laughs> stale. <laughs> but we're doing the best we can. So please allow us a little bit of grace when you go and listen to that podcast. Uh, we are trying to sketch out what our coverage of this story will be like over the next week two weeks, month, months. I'm trying to talk to the relevant people and provide a clearer picture for, for folks out there who want it. Um, but I hope that this was at least a start. I also just have to say that I'm sending my condolences to one Mike Schubert. We are officially no longer a Yankees <laughs> podcast. You heard it here first. Never have been, never will be. Except for that one fateful week <laughs> in which the minor the, leagues were unionized. <laughs> the most important week in the history of the podcast. And then we lost a bet so that we had to put tipping pitches of Yankees <laughs> podcast in our Twitter name. You know, I thought that that was the least offensive option. And it turned out it was a pretty visible option. So I feel People, like Mike yeah. got his, uh, his money's worth. Absolutely. Thanks to everybody who's stuck with us through this whole, this whole journey. <laughs> Alex, anything else to leave the people with? Other than a hearty, hell yeah, reunionizing the minor leagues. Midnights by Taylor Swift. Coming out October 21st. Imagine that's the day that they voluntarily recognize the minor league unions. Like, these two events are, like, like at that point, always not, linked yeah. forever. Like, it, like, at that point, I might believe, like, Taylor Swift's, like, in the Illuminati and pulls like actually, or something like that. Yeah. Like, in, is, like, a shadow funder of the MLBPA. Well, maybe... Now... Bear with me here. I'm just spitballing. But maybe all those mm -hmm. flights were actually her and Tony Clark <laughs> going different places across the world to drum up interest in the minor league baseball players association. Maybe. I don't know. I man. just I just choose not to acknowledge Taylor Swift's carbon footprint. <laughs> I don't know how we got here. I don't either, but we fucking did, y'all. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you so much. So so much to everybody who has purchased shirts and stickers and reached out about our coverage of this story and our continuing coverage of this story and said congratulations to us even though we don't <laughs> need the congratulations. Yeah. The players are the ones that should be getting the congratulations. But thank you so much to all of the energy and love and support and solidarity that people have been showing because it really means a lot and we've just gotten so many people buying shirts in the last couple of days. So <laughs> If you are listening and you haven't gotten a shirt and and you want to get one while it's while you're right in the thick of it, yeah, this is going to be vintage shit in six months. Exactly, it's tiny.cc backslash nationalize. Thank you to everybody for listening. We'll be back with another episode on Thursday. No idea whether we'll have a, an episode between now and then, or after that, or between Thursday and next Monday. But 
of course, more minor league labor coverage to come. Career opportunity, the one I never knock. Every job they offer used to kick you out the dock. Career opportunity, the one and never knock. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!